1: The British people have had enough of waiting. The time has come to act. People are really angry out there. They're angry that the referendum's not being carried out. But they're even angrier that politicians' promises to them have been broken.
2: Given how huge this decision is for our country, the severe consequences there will be for generations, it is time to put this back to the people and stop this Brexit chaos.
3: We will do everything necessary to stop a disastrous no deal. You're listening to Bloomberg
4: Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik,
2: And a very good afternoon. I'm Caroline Hepke. Well, what an exciting week we've had. Boris Johnson, his lead negotiator David Frost, is in Brussels today for talks with the EU about the latest Brexit proposal. Of
4: course, a lot of this relies on Ireland. We've had Simon Coveney, the Foreign Minister and Deputy Prime Minister over there saying that Johnson has boxed him into a corner. He's boxed himself into a corner, but he says it's never too late for a deal. A lot can be done in 10 days. So there's some seeping optimism there, but generally I I sense that the mood is getting sour and sour from the EU side.
2: Yeah, uh, we're going to discuss more on that in a moment, but then this interesting story popped up just in the last few minutes, because the MP Rory Stewart is saying that he is going to stand down at the next uh, election. Uh, He's also resigning from the Conservative Party, and he has decided to run to be the Mayor of London in May 2020.
4: Yeah, he's not had enough of leadership elections, clearly, or of elections full stop. We saw him uh, rise to prominence, didn't we, against Boris Johnson back in July. And now he's going to take on Sadiq Khan in May 2020, trying to become the mayor of London. Speaking of mayors, we're going to speak to the Lord Mayor, who's in charge of the City of London, Peter Eslin, slightly later on. But let's continue this, because I think this is the fascinating story of today, really, and just how this falls with Sadiq Khan, who's been there since 2016, has been a very liberal mayor. So they've got a lot in common to an extent, despite the fact that they come from from different parties. Let's bring in our guests on this show. We've got Roger Hearing, Hearingbloom. For what you're hearing and Bloomberg opinions, Therese Raphael. Um, Therese, let's let's start with you. Should Sadiq Khan be worried about this?
5: Well, I think Rory proved a very compelling candidate in the Tory leadership contest, and that he um, he came across as someone who was very thoughtful about policy. He came across as someone who was authentic. Um, now city politics is very different from politics on a national stage and whether Rory is going to appeal to the swath of London voters is a different story. He'll certainly appeal to, uh, say, you know, middle-class liberals. But whether he's going to, I mean, Sadiq Khan has a much broader um, reach with London voters. And but you know, Sadiq Khan has a track record that he will run against. Mm-hmm. Rory doesn't, and there'll be many that will say that Sadiq Khan has not done enough for London.
2: Okay. Well, of course, Rory Stewart is going to be standing against the current London uh, mayor, uh, Sadiq Khan, uh, obviously the Labour mayor. Uh, the Tory candidate, we have to say, is Sean Bailey and then the Green Party, it's Sean Berry. Uh, now, Rory Stewart made this announcement. Uh, he posted a video on Twitter, but he also uh, wrote an open letter in the media to Londoners, basically asking for support. Let's have a listen to some of the video that he put out this morning. It
4: is a city not just for so much potential, but of course a city that is now in real danger. Danger from Brexit, from technological change, but I think above all, from what's happened in British politics to the kind of extremism that is taking over our country.
2: Uh, so that was the video. It was shot basically on the wobbly bridge, I think, as far as I could make out. So that's why you've got a bit of kind of noise and wind like in it, the background. Yeah, uh, let's bring in um, Bloomberg Daybreak Europe anchor, Roger Hearing. Look, what do you make of this candidacy? Terry's Raphael was mentioning there that he's, he might have some stiff competition.
1: Well, it is interesting. I mean, one of the things that occurs to me, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of politics in this country now is about the optics, about what it looks like. And of course, we have to remember that it'll be Rory Stewart, who is, after all, uh, also a public schoolboy, Uh, in origin uh, has a very British establishment background and he's up against Sadiq Khan obviously uh, an Asian heritage person and also Sean Bailey the conservative candidate who is a man of colour so if you look at the actual optics of it in a city which after all is renowned for its uh, the integration of various ethnic groups the the the, the diversity
4: if you like of the city perhaps that's one thing that won't play in his favour is my guess. Does this then become a three-horse race because if you look at Sean Bailey nobody knows who he is. I know we're a while away but he's had his fair show of gaffes as well and they're going to get dug up as we get closer to this. I think that's true and there
1: are certainly have been a few in his background. I'm not going to go into details but there have been things that have been said about him. I think the one thing that that, that, that Rory certainly has is a global, not global, a national position. Global in some ways actually. A lot of his, his videos went viral in America interestingly. But he has a very strong image and that image is one that he can play to his advantage because I think a lot of people, I mean we, we, this isn't going to be about Brexit in theory, the Mayor election, but of course, actually, he probably will be.
2: Uh, Therese, um, I think it's also interesting. I mean, Rory managed to, Rory Stewart managed to build up quite a following uh, for his walking, and apparently he may be doing a walking tour of London. I mean, lots of opportunities. You say that some of his videos went viral. A lot of this is to do with his Twitter feed, isn't it? And and, uh, him accessing uh, people on the street and and speaking sort of empathetically to voters.
5: Yeah, I think that will play well with the London electorate. And I think in a way it does offset that sort of public schoolboy, you know, Oxbridge background. I mean, London—they elected Londoners elected Sadiq Khan. They also elected Boris Johnson, sure. a public schoolboy. So I—I I don't think that will be a deciding factor. And Rory does have this way of sort of disarming uh, people who accuse him of, of you know, being some lofty uh, kind of elite. He—he he really, I think, ha- can push back against that. Um, but uh, you know, the the social media uh, side of this campaign will be very interesting. He's been hugely. Effective on that, nobody expected him to do as well as he did in the early rounds against uh, against Boris Johnson. So I think it's a very interesting choice for him.
1: Yeah, and if I can say, I mean, he's a very um, accessible person. Well, I've interviewed yeah. him in the past. He's very easy to talk to. He's very empathetic. He does that extremely well. And indeed, during the uh, mayor, the the race for the Tory leadership, he did a lot of work in London, working with
4: people, for example, victims of knife crime. This mm. kind of thing went down extremely well. Mm. Mm. And that's something, of course, that flares up every now and then, and people do look to the mayor and Sadiq has been criticized for that, rightly or wrongly. We talked a bit about uh, Rory Stewart's virality. Is that, Therese, enough to make up for the fact that he doesn't have party backing here? He's not gonna have the money?
5: Yeah, I mean, the the, the campaign you know, in London, I think it's it's a, it's a big city. But it's not the entire country. So if you ask how can can David Gawk, for example, Conservative MP, run a campaign outside, you know, the, the the without the roof of the Conservative Party over him, I think that'd be very difficult. London may be a little bit different. You may be able to do it in London. The other thing Rory has in his favor that we haven't touched on is just he's got a great command of policy detail when he wants to. Hmm. So, uh, you know, that's something that I think Londoners will engage with on crime, um, and you know, well, housing. he mentioned
2: crime, housing. pollution in that open letter to Londoners. And he also mentioned uh, the people that he had met and spoken to in London, particularly one of the relatives of a victim of knife crime. So he's pointing exactly to those policy issues. You're saying that together we can solve these problems. He he
1: was, of course, prisons minister and famously said, if the prisons don't improve, I'm resigning. In fact, of course, he resigned before that because (laughs) he got involved in the Tory leadership. But he was also in the environment uh, department for a while. Those are both things, I think, that probably would help with his candidacy, I guess. Yeah,
5: I would agree.
2: Okay, what about Brexit then? Away Mm. from London. Let's talk uh, the national uh, issue, of course, of the day, uh, which is, you know, various reports about just how many days Boris Johnson is meant to have, um, you know, to get this uh, Brexit proposal that he has sent over to the EU actually accepted. The noises
5: don't seem that positive. Therese, what have you made of the last couple of days? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it. it's hard to know, I think, for the EU side, how serious Boris Johnson is about getting a deal. <clears throat> My own view is that we have to take him at his word. I think for him, uh, there's there's no question having a deal that could get through Parliament is is far better before an election than having no deal or having an extension. That said, I think he's ready to uh, accept either of those two alternatives, and he has a narrative that he'll go to the public on for that. But for the EU side, what he's proposed is is simply unworkable as it stands, because for the Irish, it means uh, customs checks. Um, It means potentially undermining the Good Friday a peace agreement because it would politicize compliance with these various regulatory and customs checks. It's a breach of red lines that they set down and refused to cross for Theresa May. Whether they would do it for Boris Johnson, who has a, you know, minus 43 or something majority in parliament, you know, I highly doubt it. The incentive for the EU to get this over with, to be shot of the UK, is there. Um, but my guess is that it's not enough to get it done in, in that amount of time.
1: But what one thing I think is interesting, you talk about his minority of, of 43, I think it is minus 43 at the moment. But what's been really interesting on this is that over the last 24 hours, the number of Tory mm. uh, mm. uh, Tory Tories who didn't like Boris Johnson, who didn't like what he was doing, have begun to come on board. And I, I wonder yeah. if it gets to a point where maybe he can go to Brussels and say, and, and Theresa, I don't know if you agree with this, he you could actually say well this is one deal I actually could get over the line potentially
5: yeah and there has even been talk of holding a vote before he goes to brussels which i don't think he'll do because i think it's a it's a, it, you know it's a gift to the labor party to say no but i think you're absolutely right he has it looks like uh, he could have a majority in Parliament. It's the opposite of Theresa May, who got to the deal with Europe, couldn't <laughs> get it through Parliament. He looks to be able to put together a, a parliamentary majority, but I don't think it's enough for the EU. But the EU is also very conscious there's going to be an election. Nobody knows where that, you know, where that's going to end up. Um so Do you do think they... it's
2: gonna happen before Christmas or after Christmas? The, the general election. I know it's a tr- yeah, tricky question. I think
5: it's a, it's a it's a it's a tricky one. I mean, I was just in Manchester at the Tory Party conference, and um, I you know heard government officials uh, bet both ways. I mean, I <laughs> okay. guess if I had to say, I think you know we'd probably get one in December. But but
1: of course, the problem with yeah. British elections in December yeah. is, yes. is the weather, and it's historically weather. that yeah. hasn't done well, particularly the yeah. Labour Party. Yeah. Normally, is yeah. is the sort of conventional That's wisdom like... on that. So that might be a
4: deterrent.
5: And Christmas. I mean, do and you really <laughs> want to bring the, the British voters to the to ballot box. They can have a new parliament all nicely wrapped up underneath the tree. It's going to take a lot
4: longer than that, I tell you. Uh, Roger, just talk us through very quickly. There are a lot of deadlines floating around in the papers today. Uh, What are we focusing on?
5: Well,
1: it is very variable. The one firm deadline we do know is the 17th of October, because that's when the EU summit is taking place. And they made it very clear things have to be sorted by then. Otherwise, people have been talking about the 11th. People have been talking all sorts of other days.
2: Okay, Our thanks to Therese Raphael, Bloomberg opinion columnist, for joining us in the studio, along with Bloomberg Daybreak Europe anchor uh, Roger Hearing. Uh, Thank you for your time of course on the big question of Brexit but also Rory Stewart running for the
0: mayoral election next May.
4: Yeah big story of the day as far as I'm concerned I'm always big on these uh, these London elections. First, let's have a look through these papers.
2: Yeah, indeed. Uh, The Telegraph, I thought this was uh, interesting, about the Leo Varadkar DUP row. Uh, This is Leo Varadkar claiming that remaining in the EU is what the British people actually want. So an interesting uh, reading. He says that all the polls since Mr Johnson became Prime Minister show that the UK wanted to remain, but that, quote, their political system isn't able to give them that choice. The DUP describes his comments as incendiary and outrageous.
4: Yeah, controversial to say the least, although it would solve a massive headache for Ireland. Uh, yes. but, but it's a it's a big ask, isn't it? Yeah,
2: absolutely. So I mean, and it's tricky also weighing in on you know at such a tricky time. Of course, uh, Ireland weighing in. But then you know, speaking to uh, the Irish bureau chief earlier today about the budget that Ireland has to put out next week. Mm. I mean, it's no wonder that Leo Varadkar wants it sorted. It's going to be a big hit to Ireland.
4: Yeah, of course. And, and if you look at Stormont as well, completely paralysed, nothing going on there. So there's really all sorts of disarray. I'm looking at Bloomberg Opinion, Clive Crook writing that Europe should welcome Johnson's plan for. Brexit. He calls it a good long-term investment. He's talking uh, about uh, these proposals, saying that it would avoid a no-deal outcome, uh, that could do grave damage to Ireland, cooperate in maintaining an invisible border with the North, peace on the island, Uh, sit back, he says, uh, the island should, as the North gets used to that border in the Irish Sea, and he says that this could play out quite well. Uh, And of course, that exclusive in the mirror on Jennifer Jennifer Arcuri, the uh, US businesswoman, Uh, she was caught by the US editor in what looks like a car park somewhere (laughs) in America. Uh, Some interesting quotes. We're regulated by Ofcom, so I can't repeat them, but Google it.
2: Uh, uh, Okay, I will do. Uh, I think also that at least the Daily Mail, I think, earlier this week also got some snaps A few lines, yeah. And got a few lines from her, but yeah, obviously a lot of journalists in hot pursuit of that exclusive interview. Uh, Right, uh, let's bring in our guest for the rest of uh, our programme this morning. The London Mayor, the Lord Mayor, uh, Peter Eslin, uh, joins us this morning. Really good to have you uh, on the programme. Yeah, we've Got, we've got mayors on the mind this morning obviously because Rory Stewart uh, resigning as a, a Tory running for the mayor of London um obviously you know would be in charge of a of a broader swathe of the city what what do you make of this?
3: Well, <clears throat> I think it's a, a, a choice that obviously the electorate will then make the decision. Um, but as a city, you know, we'll we'll work with whoever comes out. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, some really hot topical issues out there, Yeah, you know, whether it is well, crime, environment.
2: Yeah, exactly. Look, he mentioned uh, the lack of housing, pollution, crime. I mean, those are the big lines really, aren't they, for, for the uh, mayor of London to deal with. But even here in the administration for the square mile, though, those issues are, are huge for people who work and live here.
3: Yeah, and, and in many ways, you know, businesses, whilst they are focused on economic growth, I mean, they're also quite you know, focused on these in, these sort of community issues. Uh, I mean, one of the aspects of my Lord Mayor's Appeal has been working with Onside Youth Zones, which is sort of a national charity. We've set up three state-of-the-art youth facilities in Barking and Dagenham, Croydon and Barnet, it, And it, you know, it's those sorts of things which are hoping... Hoping to drive down you know, youth crime because it's giving young people things to do. So where we can collaborate with uh, with the mayor of London, yeah, that's the sort of agenda that we want to take forward.
4: More immediately, then you're jetting off to New York on Monday, uh, looking beyond Brexit. Talk us about the uh, some of the conversations you've had with non-EU countries, looking beyond October the thirty-first.
3: Well, funnily enough, um, quite a lot of non-EU countries uh, aren't stopping for Brexit. Uh, they're getting on with the world, mm. yeah, you know, innovating left, right, and centre, uh, and yeah, you know, we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, I mean, the the UK now is no doubt the world leader in fintech. Uh, So we even out-surpassed the US in terms of the number of fintech deals, uh, 114 to their 101. So whilst, uh, you know, the the focus is going to be on that innovation. Uh, There's lots to talk about how we continue to fund that, how do we continue to fuel it, not just in fintech, but in life sciences, creative and media industries. And that's really replicating across the whole country.
4: I want to pick you up on fintech. I saw a survey from the Digital Finance Forum that said that two thirds of the industry say that the UK is the centre, but only a third see that
3: being the case in five years. Are you worried about the future of the industry? No, I'm not. I mean, I think the what we're seeing is that we represent somewhere in the region of 10 to 15 percent of the global industry today. Uh, we see that growing exponentially. We've had record levels of capital coming into the UK. And that's fueled by some sort of real long-sighted views that from a regulatory environment, from an access to talent, 42% of the people working in fintech are international. So it's very much a vibrant hub that is not just focused on the UK market, but focused on the international market. And it's that continued... Uh, lack of parochialism, i.e. focusing on fueling innovation globally that will drive London into continued success.
2: Yeah, I, I understand that. But unfortunately, the parochial uh, issues will be around talent, because as we head either for a no deal Brexit or even an extension, we're coming to kind of uh, the decision moment around Brexit. And the issue of of who can uh, come to London, how long they can come here, what kind of visa they can get is, is foremost in people's minds, not just in fintech, but in all the financial services industries
3: but all the evidence is pointing the other way so the reality is since brexit we've seen a growth in people coming into the uk into london partly as access to that, that opportunity but equally, I think we're seeing uh, momentum in the government in the sense of giving those graduates a, t- a two-year period to extend. So London, given its cultural benefits as well as its business benefits, those are all attractive to people wanting to work here. So, yeah, we've got to bring harmonisation with visas, but that's that's job to do.
2: OK, so then look, is London going to engineer a Brexit in name only?
3: The... We're already we're already operating as though uh, as though the world's going to carry on, all right? We want a deal. I mean, we've been adamant from that from the start, all right? We do not want a no deal. We want a deal. We've yeah. got to continue to do business with our neighbors. But the scale of growth that is in Africa, in India, in Asia, I mean, the market growth that we're seeing around the world, all right, Europe isn't our only marketplace. So we're, we're, the city is focused on the scale of our economic growth around the world, and hence why I'm going to the U.S. as well. I mean, it's our largest trading partner. So, I mean, it's, you know, we'll leave the politicians to get to do the job they were being required to do. Elected to do, yeah. And elected to do, exactly. And we're going to get on and do the job we're required to do, which is helping to create some economic growth (laughs) and jobs. I'm going to go against
4: that just ever so slightly. You say you want a deal. Would you take Johnson's deal?
3: Yep. Really? Yeah. Why? Because with this, this the sheer frustration. All right, the conversation for the last two years is all been about Brexit. We're not moving forward on our agendas, all right? The world is not stopping for Brexit. And we need to get a deal on the table. We can then develop that deal over time. The deal only just takes us to where we are today. It doesn't deal with the future.
2: No, of course, the trading negotiation exactly. still has to go ahead. Yeah. Uh, but look, then you mentioned that you're going over to the United States. And I know um, that you were also there um, previously in the US and Canada what in, in June, laying the groundwork. You came in and had a lovely conversation with us here uh, on Bloomberg about that, uh, basically trying to lay the groundwork for a specific trade deal post brexit and then we saw mr trump and mr johnson in september uh, you know uh, the us president saying that there was going to be a magnificent us uk trade deal after brexit but given what has happened with the trade war between the us and china and now increasingly between the us and the eu That is a very difficult situation to to deal with for the UK, trying to do a trade deal with with President Trump.
3: Look, I mean, I had the vice president of the US over for dinner uh, a few weeks ago. And look, I'm a realist. I mean, I I think doing a trade deal is not something that's going to happen overnight. It's not going to be there on the first. But
2: that's not what the president of the US has said.
3: Well, with all due respect, the president of the US can say what the president can say. But realistically, I don't think we're going to have a trade deal on the 1st of November. But the intent of trading with our largest trading partner and having a framework that deals with the service agenda—I mean, the shift in our economic output—is phenomenal. So we need a trade deal that is going to deal with not only today but tomorrow, and that—that that will take that will take days, if not months, to to, to formulate. Has the uh, the danger of a no deal Brexit decreased?
4: I'm seeing sterling traders less concerned about this in real terms. What's
3: happened? Is it still going to be as damaging as ever? Well, I think largely the markets have pre-positioned themselves. I mean, in practice, uh, businesses where uh, that are highly dependent, particularly in the service industries, have pre-positioned themselves. So, from that perspective, I mean, I think you know that the likelihood is factored into the markets. But you know, a, a no deal would be damaging because in practice it takes you back to you know, a rock zero. Uh, and therefore all of these talks of deals, mm. we've still then got to create a framework to then have a trade deal on top of that. So we've still got to create a platform on which to move forward.
2: Yeah, there's lots more work to be done. Look, away from Brexit, I want to talk about bigger global issues. And one of them that we've been talking about this morning, protests in Hong Kong. Um, There are calls now for this mass show of defiance in Hong Kong because of this newly imposed mask ban, which was announced just by Chief Executive Carrie Lam. There are also calls for the City of London to say and and do more, to make louder noises. I mean, I know that the Foreign Secretary, Dominic Raab, has called on the Hong Kong government to engage um, the public to basically end the unrest. Is there a message that you have for the City of London to Hong Kong?
3: Look, I mean, from the city's perspective, uh, you know, we want to continue to do business with Hong Kong. uh, And clearly that environment is not an environment which is attractive to business. It's destabilising. So, I mean, you know, we would encourage, uh, we would encourage the authorities to bring a speedy resolution to try and understand the arguments, uh, and really to really take that violence out of the equation because that is the damaging part of this uh, and so to my mind you know that that's the disincentive to business if it if it's if there's dialogue taking place that's fine if there's violence we don't want to be anywhere near it does the City
4: of London have a responsibility to be making some sort of a noise here, reminding China of its responsibilities?
3: I think that's more a political decision. I mean, that's really HM Government to to China. But I think business community we are very aware of the potential damage that will do. In the same way that the markets have looked at us and the damage that potentially could exist from Brexit, you know, if we don't get it resolved, these sorts of political issues do need to get re- resolved. And, and business, you know, business won't want to do business in Hong Kong if that level of stability isn't returned.
2: Do you think after four months of protest that the mindset has definitely changed when it comes to Hong Kong and its viability as a major global financial hub?
3: Well certainly its ambitions have been dented. Uh, I mean practically you know with, with the stability of the rule of law and we have it here I mean we have had our own incidences over time all right and um, we have to deal with those quickly and amicably. So I mean to my mind yes it, it is damaging and the longer it goes on for Hong Kong the, the more damage it will do.
2: Okay, Peter Esslin, thank you so much for joining us this uh, afternoon. That's the Lord Mayor of London, the City of London, joining us in the studio.
1: Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London.